All right. Hello, Christ community. Greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West campus and our traditions venue. Glad all of you are here. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Lots have been going. Lots of things have been going on in uh, in my own family. Um, I'm actually uh, now I have a married child, which makes me feel really old. Um, but it's really exciting. Caleb got married a couple weeks ago, and and uh, that's a very very cool thing to welcome into our family a daughter-in-law. So that's very very exciting. Um, a lot of things going on around our church um, this weekend was our serve our city um, day. Many of you participated. We participated with about 10 other churches in the area um, and 40 in Northern Colorado just serving our city. Um, I was at Union Colony Preparatory School with a number of people. We were doing some painting. I probably still have blue paint on my arms, but uh, uh, thanks to all of you who came out um, for that and participated. It was great. We were primarily at schools. And uh, it was awesome, just a way to communicate value and love to our community and let them know we care about the teachers and the children that go there. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's one of our passions as a church. So kudos to those of you who are part of that. We have another Serve Our City Day coming up in August, August 12th on a Saturday morning. And that's going to be focused on with some, helping some groups that we partner with through For the City and Beyond. So um, you may want to make note of that, set that uh, morning aside. If you want some pictures of about today and this weekend, you can go on our Facebook page and see some um, some of the pictures from people serving. So if you have your Bible or uh, Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter uh, 11. Um, I had to think for a moment. Uh, we, we as a church are journeying together through this amazing book of Luke. And, and today we're jumping ahead a little bit. And that's why I had to think for a moment. We're, we're skipping ahead. Um, uh, 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 we're skipping the, the end of chapter 10 and also the beginning part of chapter 11. And we're doing it for a very specific reason. That particular section in the book of Luke is some, it, it deals with two themes that I am very, passionate about. And I want us to more deeply focus on them the months of August and September. So these themes revolve around, first of all, the idea of experiencing a friendship with Jesus. And then the second um, theme is going to be our prayer life, deepening our prayer life. And so we're going to look at those. We're, we're going to come back to those sections in August and September. So that means that today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 11, be, beginning in verse 14. This section, this section begins with Jesus casting a demon out of a man who was mute, which at this point in the book of Luke is not really that unusual, right? We've seen Jesus casting out demons in chapter four. And then in chapter eight, he cast out a legion of demons, a man in the region of the Gerasenes. And then in chapter nine, he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he had to cast a demon out. So this idea of Jesus casting out demons is not really that big of a deal at this point in the book of Luke. What is unique about this particular incident is that right after casting out this demon, Jesus then gives us this very practical teaching on the subject of spiritual warfare. In a sense, what we have in this passage is Jesus' guide to spiritual warfare. His specific teaching about this subject, which is desperately needed today in our culture and in our churches. We live in a very interesting culture where on one hand, <clears throat> there is this fascination with the, the paranormal and with the idea of, of evil spirits and all of that. And yet on the other hand, if in a normal conversation in the, in the break room at work, you mention demons or Satan, 
there would be a very long, awkward silence, right? <laughs> With people secretly wondering if you had lost it. So, so people sort of believe in the spirit realm, and yet in day-to-day -day realities, they often don't live like they believe that. And so we need some wisdom on this subject. And who better to offer that kind of wisdom for us than Jesus himself? So in this passage, we're going to kind of walk through it here. In this passage, there are three critical aspects of spiritual warfare that Jesus addresses. And each one of them is critically important in the spiritual battles that all of us face. Okay, so let's look at each one of these. First of all, we see the importance of discernment. <clears throat> the importance of discernment. Look with me beginning in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Okay, so notice what's happening here. While some people in the crowd are amazed at what Jesus has ju just done, casting out a demon, others in the crowd begin to raise questions, not about whether or not a demon actually was exercised. No, they raise questions about the power that Jesus used to do this. They accuse him of using demonic power, not God's power. They say Jesus did this by the power of Beelzebul, which is the, the prince of demons. Now that title goes back to the, 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 the small g God of Baal in the Old Testament, the Canaanite God of Baal. But Luke tells us who this refers to. It refers to the prince of demons, Beelzebul, the prince of demons. In other words, Satan. So th 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 this is a very significant issue here that's being raised. By whose power did Jesus cast this demon out? This is a discernment question. Right? This is a discernment question. Anytime there is spiritual activity, discernment is needed because the spirit realm involves both good spirits and evil forces, and we need to be able to discern which is at work. So discernment is vital, and Jesus affirms this. In fact, he shows us how we can use discernment in these matters. There are two facets of discernment that, he highlight, that are highlighted here. The first is common sense. Common sense. Look with me at verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? so then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus is using plain old common sense here to discern what's going on here, to refute their accusation. If Satan is driving out his own demons, that would be really stupid, right? It would be like a baseball player intentionally striking out or intentionally dropping fly balls in order to hurt his own team. It makes no sense to accuse Jesus of driving out demons by the power of Satan. Satan wants his demons to stay exactly where they are and do exactly what they've been doing, which is basically wreaking havoc. Okay, so Jesus uses common sense 
to exercise discernment. And I think we also could benefit from common sense when it comes to spiritual warfare. There are, there are times, and maybe you hear this as well, there are times when things get attributed to demons or things get attributed to Satan when there, there are possibly other factors that are, you know, involved as well. So, you know, like Someone who, uh, before eating, um, you know, spiritually binds the fat grams in their Big Mac um, in order to prevent heart disease, they perhaps should consider just limiting their intake of Big Macs, right? Um, someone who continually gets sick may be under spiritual attack, but they also may be experiencing the consequences of going without enough sleep over a long period of time or not eating healthy food. See, we need to be careful that we don't immediately attribute to spiritual warfare things that may have another cause as well. In the midst of marital challenges, it can be very easy, it can be very easy to assume a direct demonic assault. We're, we're just, this is a spiritual attack, and we can assume that against our marriage. But what if the real culprit is our own unforgiveness? or our own pride. I mean, we can pray against the enemy until we're blue in the face, but if we don't look at our own heart, if we don't look honestly at the issues causing our strife, it won't get any better. It won't get any better. Common sense forces us to look objectively at what's happening and to assess the situation rather than automatically assuming it's demonic. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's just instead of automatically assuming this is demonic, we can look objectively at what's going on. Okay, which leads to the other critical aspect of discernment, and that is evaluating fruit. Evaluating fruit. Jesus says in verse 20, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is setting up a contrast here between the work of Satan's kingdom and the work of God's kingdom. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at the fruit in this situation and discern what each side is doing. Okay, so on God's side... We have this man who could not speak. He was unable to communicate with his family, with his friends. Every aspect of his life was restricted by him being mute. He couldn't speak. And suddenly, Jesus prays for him, and the demon leaves, and he can speak. He can tell his children that he loves them. He can worship God. He can hold a job, right? That's what God's kingdom is about. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about worship and peace and provision and joy, all good stuff, okay? That's one side. And we see it happening right here. That's one side. On the other side is the story of, this, uh, story of Satan's kingdom, which is this man, what this man experienced before the demon was cast out. Satan and his demons love to restrict. They love to bind. They love to bring people into bondage and to hinder them from experiencing joy and peace and, 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 and relationships and all those things. Satan loves to rob and steal and destroy, which is what Jesus says in John 10 about him. That's what Satan does. He does it through deception. He does it through oppression. He works in tandem with our flesh so that we often choose destructive behaviors, behaviors which put us in further bondage. So here, here, here's the way to think about this. If, if there is an area in our lives where we're becoming less free, where we're becoming more addicted, where we're becoming more discouraged, 
or more despondent or more fearful, you know, we can fairly assuredly assume that there is probably some demonic activity in the mix. I'm not saying it's all demonic, but there is probably some demonic activity going on in the mix because that's what Satan and his demons do. They love to bind and, and restrict. The problem is many of us, as followers of Jesus, we don't even consider that possibility, which, which makes us very vulnerable to the enemy's influence. This is a spiritual maturity issue. In fact, listen to these words and look, you can look on, look on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning of verse 12. Look at this. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Do, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying some of you should be spiritually mature by now, but you're still babies. You're still drinking spiritual milk. You need to grow up. And what does that mean? It means you need to learn how to discern between good and evil. This, this passage emphasizes the importance of God's word in the process of discernment. This continual use of God's word increases our ability to discern. So if Satan's primary strategy is deception, we need to fill our minds and our hearts with the truth that is found in God's word. That's how we can grow in our ability to discern what is good and what is evil. This, this past week, I, have, I just have felt like I've been in this spiritual battle with, with discouragement about some things. And one of the, one of the things that has helped keep me going has been my time in God's word. Um, he has spoken to me. I could give you specific passages, specific things. He has spoken to me. His truth in the midst of these lies that are just kind of assailing me and I'm believing Honestly, without that, without that time in the word this week, I feel like my mind and my heart would be totally adrift. We need God's word in this battle. We need God's word. In, in Ephesians 6, Paul says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. This is in that whole spiritual warfare section. And then we have Jesus using the word when Satan was specifically tempting him. Jesus used the word over and over again. So, so folks, this is not a guilt thing. I'm not, oh, you know, feel guilty if you're not in the word. I'm not saying that. This is just a reality thing. <laughs> if we're not in the word very often, if we're not letting God speak to us from his word, we're like infants, unprepared for battle. I mean, what's more vulnerable than an infant in a battle, Right? We are just vulnerable. If we're not growing in our understanding and engagement in God's word, we're, we're just vulnerable to the enemy's lies. And so discernment is critically important. Okay, the second critical issue Jesus raises as it relates to spiritual warfare is the issue of power. The issue, issue of power. Look with me at the next verse, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted 
and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, Jesus is articulating here a very important spiritual principle by telling this story. He describes a homeowner, a strong man, a homeowner, who is fully armed, guarding his house. Okay, this guy has a great security system. He's fully armed with multiple semi-automatic weapons, okay? In this particular scenario... His home and his possessions are pretty safe, right? If an intruder comes in, oh, he knows black belt karate as well, okay? So if an intruder comes in, no problem. He's got this. The alarms go off. The person is discovered and easily taken care of. But what happens when someone stronger shows up? A SWAT team, for instance, shows up with tanks and tear gas. Suddenly, the situation is very different. All of this homeowner's strengths and security measures and weapons that seemed so powerful a moment ago, all of a sudden, all those things mean very little in the face of a fully armed SWAT team. So the homeowner's surrender is inevitable. His possessions are no longer safe. The one with more power has the ability to control the situation. Here's the key interpretive question in this passage. Who is the strong man? Who is the strong man? Satan. Satan is the strong man. There is no doubt that Satan is very powerful. He is able to bring about incredible destruction in people's lives, right? In his domain, his kingdom, right? He is able to rob people of freedom, to influence their choices through deception. He's able to use fear to manipulate circumstances. He is the strong man in this story. He is fully armed and he is ready for battle. And he has had his way on earth, on his kingdom, in his kingdom for a long time. But then someone stronger shows up. <laughs> someone stronger shows up. Jesus God's son. He came on the scene and Jesus, the minute he comes on the scene, he starts his ministry. What's he start doing? He starts casting out demons, right? He's demonstrating his power is stronger than demonic power, right? And then Jesus resisted Satan's temptations. And then when Satan seemed to have the victory by making, you know, arranging things so that Jesus ended up being crucified and nailed to a cross and dying, his, you know, breathing his last breath, Jesus won that battle as well, right? On the third day, he rose from the dead. Jesus is stronger. I love how Paul describes this in Colossians 2. In fact, I want us to read this out loud together, okay? Let's read this out loud together. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I love that passage. In fact, it's so cool because the word Paul uses for disarm is the exact same word that Luke uses for disarm. See, Jesus disarmed the strong man. He disarmed the powers and the authorities of the demonic realm. Right? Satan is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Okay? Jesus is stronger by a long shot. Even though Satan is powerful, Jesus is more 
powerful. And here's what this means for us. Whenever you are confronted by a demonic presence in the middle of the night, Jesus is more powerful. Whenever you are tempted by some demonic influence, Jesus is more powerful. Whenever the enemy accuses you, Jesus is more powerful than those accusations. Whenever an addiction whispers to you that you can never be free, Jesus is more powerful. Whenever, and you just fill in the blank, right? <laughs> you just fill in the blank. We know the answer. Jesus is more powerful. So the key to experiencing victory in our spiritual battles is clear. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Rely on Jesus, not our own strength. Trust in his power. Utilize his authority that he has given to you as his follower. Now, there is a clear warning, however, here given by Jesus. Look again at verse 23. Whoever is not with me, this is right after he tells the strong man story. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, there are only two sides in this battle. There's Jesus' side and there's Satan's side. That's it. There is no sort of Switzerland neutral ground here, okay? It's one side or the other. You are either on Jesus' side or on the enemy's side. So what does it mean to be on Jesus' side? It is definitely more than lip service. It's definitely more than just using the right words. In fact, there's this fascinating account in Acts chapter 19, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 19, where some Jews were going around and they were trying to drive out evil spirits and they were using the name of Jesus to do that. And we read about a, a group of family, of sons, seven sons in a particular family. They were sons of a priest in the area and they were going around trying to cast out demons this way. So one day they tried to cast a demon out of someone by saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And they got a very interesting response. The demon answered back and said to them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Who says the Bible is boring? I mean, come on. I mean, this, I mean, don't you love the Bible? It just tells it like it is. But clearly, these demonic powers are not to be trifled with. They're not to be trifled with. They only, demons only respond to the name of Jesus when the person doing the praying actually knows Jesus personally. The, the name of Jesus is not a magic formula that just anyone can kind of use. Hey, I heard they cast out demons. I'm just going to use it. It's not a magic formula like that. It represents a personal relationship with Jesus, one in which we enter into by faith in his work on the cross where he defeated Satan once and for all. So here's how this applies. And please, please listen, this is really important. If you don't know Jesus personally, you're on your own in the spiritual battle. If you sense a demonic presence in your car sometime or in your home at night or whatever, good luck with that because you're on your own. If you sense some demonic influence in your life or family, you're on your own. Your battle is in your own strength and that will not go well. 
Satan is real and his power is real. And on our own, we are toast. We are toast against him. He's a strong being. In our own power, we're toast. But there is one, there is one who is more powerful. Jesus, the son of God. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus and received his forgiveness and his presence in your life, I urge you to do so. Don't go it alone. You make a really easy target for the enemy when you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. In fact, I want to, I have more to this sermon, but I want to stop right here and just give an opportunity for anyone here who does not know Jesus and you want to know him personally and place your trust in him, where he then will live in you and will be able to help you defeat the enemy. So, so let's just bow our heads for just a moment. Again, I'm not done with the message, but I want to stop here. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you just to pray a prayer with me in the silence of your heart where you invite Jesus into your life. So dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I've sinned against you. And my, I realize that my sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated. I want to be in a personal relationship with you. So even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me by sending your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life. And then, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You died on the cross to pay for my sin. And then you rose from the dead to defeat death for me. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you my sin and my failures and my doubts and my questions and my fears. I just bring all of that to you and I leave it on your shoulders. And in exchange for that, I receive your life. Come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Forgive my sin and change me from the inside out through the power of your love. So Lord, I just pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray that you would help them grow in this amazing relationship that now they know you. Your power, your presence lives in them. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for all of us here, no matter what battle you face, Jesus is bigger. He's more powerful. Walk closely with him and freedom and victory will be yours. Okay, a third critical issue Jesus raises in this passage as it relates to our experience of spiritual warfare is vigilance. Vigilance. We talked about discernment and power. It's now vigilance. Check out what he says next. Verse 24. When an evil spirit comes out of anyone, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. 
Now, this is sort of a creepy passage, okay? This is just a creepy passage talking about how demons operate in the spiritual realm. Jesus describes how a demon, once it leaves someone, is looking for a place to inhabit. That's what demons do. They look for a place to inhabit. Demons are looking for a pla places where they can gain entrance and where they can begin to influence a person's life. Now, in this example, this demon is cast out of a person and it goes, the demon goes, and it looks for another place to dwell, but it doesn't find any. And so then it ends up going back to that same person. Why? Because the person hadn't done anything to guard it from coming back. The house was swept clean, spiritually speaking, but it wasn't filled with the presence of Jesus. It was a house without a spiritual security system. That was the problem. It was a house that was clean, but it was without, didn't have a spiritual security system, which just allowed the initial strong man, this initial demon, to come back with some friends of his who were more wicked than he is. Now, Jesus' point is very clear, and it should cause us to sit up and take notice. When we live our lives without a sense of vigilance without regularly turning on our spiritual security system. We are actually opening the door for more demonic assaults and activity because Satan and his demons are always looking for more ground. They're looking for more territory to use to influence us. And so the more we believe his lies, the more we give in to sinful behavior, the more we open a door for him to influence us. It's a territory issue. It's not a possession issue. I talked about that, I forget when, but a couple months ago. We, you know, it's not a possession issue. It is a territory. We give ground to the enemy. It's not that he possesses us, but we just give him ground. And when he has more ground, he has more ability to influence. Now, this is especially true in two particular areas. One is sexual sin, and one is the occult. And I bring those up because both of these are spiritual aspects of our bodies. Um, and when we engage in these things, the, sex, the whole sexual area, it's a spiritual aspect of our body. It's not just physical. That's a whole other sermon. But it's not just physical. It is a spiritual thing. And so um, sexual activity as well as the occult, they engage our bodies in a spiritual way. And when we engage in these things, in sexual sin or the occult, we, we open the door to further demonic influence. Charles Kraft, who is no relation to me, um, but he's an author, he's an expert in spiritual warfare. He writes, um, and I think this is a powerful principle, he says that demons are like rats. They need garbage to feed on. See, demons are like rats. They need garbage to feed on. And he's exactly right. Again, this isn't about being possessed by a demon. This is about us allowing demons to have greater influence in our lives because of the choices we're making. If you are involved in sexual sin and have, and have sort of given up resisting because everyone does it, and I think a lot of people are kind of, this is just our society. If you are involved in sexual sin and you've just kind of given up because everyone else does it, give up resisting and all that because everyone else is involved in this, I urge you to wake up and realize what's happening. You're just opening a door to the enemy in your life. 
That's what's happening. You're opening a door repeatedly to the enemy's work in your life and in, in my life when I do this. Now, now here's, here's the good news. And this is really good news. No matter how much ground we have given to the enemy, no matter how much ground we have given to the enemy, there is always a way to take that ground back. How? Through repentance. Through repentance. Run to Jesus. Repent of your sin and let him fill those places with his love and his forgiveness and his presence. See, let Jesus take back any territory that has already been given to the enemy. And the same thing is true, it's true with any sin, right? Same thing is true in the occult involvement. Get, repent, get rid of Ouija boards, get rid of tarot cards, get rid of the, repent, repent of these things. Again, as Charles Kraft said, the best way to get rid of the rats is to get rid of the garbage. And when you get rid of the garbage, the rats go away because they have nothing to feed on. The, listen very carefully because I know, I mean, we, I don't want anyone just being pounded by condemnation here. The cross is big enough. The cross is big enough for any sin or sins that we have committed, any ground that we've given to the enemy. The cross is big enough. But the key is repentance. Repentance is the key. Repentance opens the door for Jesus to do his cleansing and empowering work. Otherwise, without repentance, we're just leaving the door open for the enemy to gain ground. So repentance is a crucial part of our vigilance, of filling our house, spiritually speaking, with the presence of Jesus. Repentance enables that to happen. Well, in addition to repentance, there's another offensive aspect of vigilance. And, and, and Paul urges us, in a, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the repentance was more of the, the defensive. This is more of an offensive aspect of vigilance. Paul urges us in Ephesians the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, to put on the full armor of God. That is an offensive thing that we can do. It is to regularly, in prayer, put on God's truth and put on his salvation and put on his righteousness. It is to declare who we are in Christ and to stand on that reality. Satan is defeated. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Are we regularly, here's the question, are we regularly, consistently putting on these truths, declaring them over our lives and over our families and over our situations and circumstances? Are we regularly doing that? In fact, let me ask it another way. Do you ever think about what you're thinking about? Do you ever think about what you're thinking about? How often are we saying things in a normal day? We're driving down the road, we're just saying, what are we, normal day. How often do we say things to ourselves like, I'm a loser. No one likes me. I'll never defeat this habit. I'm such a jerk. That's not the armor of God we're putting on. That's the cardboard of shame, okay? <laughs> it is not the armor of God. That is the cardboard of shame and defeat. To put on the armor is an intentional action that we regularly take. It is to declare, often regularly declare, I am a child of God. 
I am loved by him. I belong to him. His power lives in me. He has good purposes in store for me. My sin is forgiven. All of it. I am free in Christ. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. See, what are we putting on? That's the question. What are we putting on by the things that we say to ourselves and the things that we think about? Again, we're putting on something. It's either cardboard or it's armor because we're always doing this. We're always saying these things, kinds of things to ourselves. What are we putting on? Our minds and our hearts are battlegrounds. They're battlegrounds. Whether we like it or not, you may say, oh, I don't want that. It doesn't matter whether we want it. It's reality. It's a battleground. Whether we like it or not, there is a war. This is where the war is being waged. Our minds and our hearts. Which is why Jesus urges us to be vigilant. To not just sweep our house clean, but to also fill it and continually fill it with the truth of his presence. See, folks, he, Jesus has given you everything you need to resist Satan's work in your life. He has given you everything you need to resist Satan's work in your life, but you have to be engaged in the battle. You have the resources, but you have to be. We have to be engaged in the battle through discernment, through the power of Jesus, and through vigilance. There is too much at stake in our lives, in our families, and in our relationships. Too, there is too much at stake to not be engaged in this battle. Just too much at stake. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, as we are just thinking about this passage and wrestling with it in our hearts, I just ask you right now, for each person here, would you open our eyes to the reality of the spiritual battle that's happening all around us? In fact, God, each one of us, I want to encourage us just to ask the Lord in the quiet of our heart and just to wait for a moment, where is the enemy at work in our lives right now? Where's the enemy at work? Where have we maybe been lulled to sleep? Holy Spirit, give us discernment just to see, to evaluate, to see, to recognize where the enemy may be working, maybe mixing it up. He's a part of what's going on. Just give us discernment especially in areas where that hasn't even been on our radar. Bring it to our radar, Lord. Bring it on our radar. The Holy Spirit, would you, and maybe this is related to the first question, but would you show us if there is any ground we have given to the enemy? through sexual sin, through occult involvement, through unforgiveness, any, any number of things, anything we need to repent of where we have just been lulled to sleep and, oh, everyone's doing it and, and we need to wake up. Would you open our eyes to see any ground we've given to the enemy?
And then I encourage all of us in the quiet of our heart, just repent of that. If the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, just repent of it right now. Repent of that. Own it and repent of it. Just bring it to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the cross is bigger than any of our sin. And so we just ask you to take back any ground we've given to the enemy. Take it back. You've defeated the enemy. You've bound the strong man. You've defeated the enemy on the cross and through the resurrection. And so we pray you would fill us. You would forgive us. You would heal us. And you would take back this territory. And I want to pray to God that you would help us all be vigilant and whatever that looks like, that we through repentance, continual repentance as we're made aware of those things. And also through the putting on the armor of God, thinking about what we're thinking about and, and saying, recognizing when the enemy is at work and just saying, no, I am not going to believe these lies anymore and declaring the truth of who we are in you. So I pray for that vigilance. Help us be vigilant, Lord. So several months ago, you can kind of lift your, your eyes here for a second. Several months ago, I found myself in the midst of a, a spiritual battle, really struggling um, with stuff. And I came across this prayer of St. Patrick. Um, St. Patrick was an amazing man of God who brought the gospel to, to Ireland in the, 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 the fifth century. And I began to pray this over my life every day during this season. And I, I have found incredible strength in it. And so I wanted us to pray this prayer together as an expression of our desire to walk in the fullness of Christ in the midst of our battles. And so um, if you want a copy of this, we made copies of this at the info area. Um, you can pick that up after the service um, if you have questions about it. But this, this, this is the kind of prayer you have to stand for, okay? Um, so let's stand. And again, I don't want us just to read this, you know, like congregational readings, everyone's just monotone. Blah, blah. No, th that's not like this either. This is not something to read. This is something we are going to pray, okay? We are going to pray this out loud. We're going to embrace these words as our prayer to Jesus, okay? So, here we go. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through a mighty strength, the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, the strength of his coming on judgment day. I arise today through a mighty strength, the virtue of the love of seraphim, in the obedience of angels, in the hope of resurrection unto reward, by virtue of prayers of patriarchs, predictions of God's prophets, preaching of the apostles, the faith of confessors, the purity of holy virgins, and the deeds of righteous men. I arise today to witness a mighty strength, 
the power that created heaven, the power that created the light of the sun, the power that created the brightness of the moon, the power that created the splendor of fire, the power that created flashing lightning, the power that caused the swiftness of winds, the power that laid the depths of the seas, the power that founded the earth's stability, the power that formed all rocks. I arise today through a mighty strength, God's power to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to teach me, God's eyes to watch over me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to give me speech, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to shelter me, God's host to secure me against the snares of the devil, against the temptations of vices, against the lusts of nature, against everyone who shall wish me ill, whether far or near, many or few. I invoke to my aid all such virtues of mighty strength against every merciless hostile power which may assail my body and my soul against the incantations of false prophets, against idolatry's deceits, against all knowledge that blinds the soul of humanity. I arise today through a mighty strength, Christ to protect me today against every poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, that I may receive abundant reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ to every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs>